suppose you all recognize what this is. Remote control. Whoever is in charge of the remote control is in charge of what happens in that room where you watch television. <laughs> right? They're in charge of what you watch and the volume of how you, how you hear everything. And, and sometimes it can get quite, uh, well, there can be quite a conflict about this remote control. The very first remote control was invented in 1950. And they called it the lazy bone for some reason. Uh, and it could only change channels and turn the TV on and off. There's a very important function that it didn't do, volume. So I can't imagine, you know, volume is the hardest thing for us to control a lot of times, so you, have to, you still have to get up and turn the volume up and down. But anyway, the real, the real design flaw in this thing was there was a heavy cable that stretched from the remote to the television. It wasn't wireless. And so one of the complaints or one of the problems with the remote was everybody kept tripping over the cable. And so it really wasn't a very big success for a first effort. But people are still tripping over the controls today. Uh, there was a survey, a question asked over the internet uh, to, to people about their remotes and who controls it. The question was, when watching TV with your spouse, who controls the remote? Here's some of the answers. I let him control the remote. Why? Because I don't much care what we watch. Maybe. I do for everyone's safety. I love my husband, but he is so easily distracted by anything bright or shiny that he will forget he's in charge of fast-forwarding through the commercials. So I can say, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Uh, that's not very good commentary on him, is it? She says, are you serious? My man is attached to the remote. Here's one. We have to watch in separate rooms or we would kill each other. I let my husband have the clicker, but I'm the one with ultimate control. Mm. Uh, one of the fellows at 8 o'clock said he has a magnet on his refrigerator that says, man for sale comes with remote. <laughs> we have problems with that remote and that control. Control is a serious business. And our story today in Daniel 4 about Nebuchadnezzar, we see that this great king of this great nation is letting power and influence and prestige go to his head. So much, in fact, that his perspective on control is quite different than it ought to be. And so let's just jump right in. I'm going to read practically this whole uh, chapter in bits and pieces, and you can follow along. And I'll make some observations and then we'll be done. Let's start with the problem in verse 1 and following. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs. How powerful His wonders. His kingdom will last forever. His rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed, so I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. 
He was named Belteshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. You see, Nebuchadnezzar seems to give lip service to the Most High God here in this passage. How great are his signs, how wonderful he is, and yet his actions here and in subsequent verses tell us a little bit something different about what Nebuchadnezzar really believes. There's a hint in here when it talks about how God has, the the God of Daniel, has done this for me. It's as if God is some kind of a genie that he can just click his fingers and God will do these tricks for him. After all, Nebuchadnezzar's gods were that way. He is the ultimate in control and his gods are just there to sort of pleasure him, to do what he wants, to follow his instructions. And so this God most high of Daniel is just, in my opinion, it seems as he's saying the same thing. I'm going to rub that lamp and God's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to do it for me. His his, his view of God maybe is not quite what it needs to be. He's not quite given over his remote. I also notice here that he talks about Daniel having the spirit of the holy gods in him. As if. There are many gods, but Daniel's God might be a little bit bigger than the rest of them, but there's plenty of choices here. And we see that as he goes to his, his astrologers, his magicians, his advisors first. As if they can help him. Have they ever helped him before? They're a lot like the weathermen. They never get it right. And they still have a job. He goes to them and what do they say? We don't know what it means. And so he goes to Daniel. Kind of as a last resort. You know, I'll check with Daniel. You know, his God has worked out before. Maybe his God will work it out for me again. Sometimes the way we respond in times of trouble and confusion like Nebuchadnezzar has, tells us a lot about what we really believe about God. Sometimes, when in a crisis, most times when in a crisis, we fall back to our own default setting. What we really think and feel comes out. Not what we say, but when in times of crisis and pain, what we really think comes out. I've used this illustration before in here, and I didn't bring it, but a soda can, like a, a, a Pepsi or Coke can, if I were to take one of those cans right now and go like this, and then do this, what's going to happen? Coke or Pepsi just out. When you are shaken, what blows out of you? That's who you really are, not what you say you are. You may say, I am a follower of the Most High God, but when you are shaken, what comes out is really who you are. And so I'm asking you this morning, if you're in a time of being shaken or you're in a time of being confused, what is coming out of you that really shows what your default position is? In this case, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is less in control, uh, less giving the control to God and more to his own abilities. You know, you see that as, as he tries other things. Don't we often do that? We, we come across a problem or a situation in our lives and we try everything we can do and then say, well, I've tried everything I can try. I might as well pray. I might as well read the Bible. Nothing else seems to be working. That seems to be Nebuchadnezzar's way of dealing with things. If all else fails, try Daniel's God. Hmm. I ask you the Dr. Phil's question. If you are that kind of person today, How's it working for you? Is that really working out? Controlling yourself, controlling your circumstances, is that really working well 
for you? Hmm, probably not, just like Nebuchadnezzar. Let's, let's look at, uh, let's see, let's look at the dream. The dream is starting in verse 10. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human, for this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was the dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Now, I am not a dream interpreter, but I can sort of figure this dream out. A great tree that nourishes everything around it, that protects everything around it. All of a sudden, the great tree is cut down and humbled. Come on. Nebuchadnezzar, don't you really know what this is all about? Don't you really know this dream is about you? Who else is the great tree? Who else is the great protector? Who else do the birds and all the animals come for shade and protection and, and, and food? Don't you really get it? And then, more, more importantly, advisors. If he doesn't see it, can't you see it? Can't you really see what this dream is? I think maybe Nebuchadnezzar could. I think maybe the advisors really could. H have you noticed how it is when we get news or we, we, we want to try to make sense of things, but we really don't want to. We go to people who tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. I think that's what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar goes to his advisors because he knows they're not going to tell him anything he doesn't want to hear. He doesn't want to hear about the judgment that God may place on him or the fact that he may be humbled. He has no place to go except for Daniel, for good advice. And he would rather take the path of least resistance and find somebody who will not tell him the truth. My question to you today is, who do you go to when you really want the truth about your situation? I remember hearing Dave Ramsey say something about so many people, when they want financial advice, ask their broke brother-in-law who lives in the basement for financial <laughs> advice. He's broke! He has no income, and yet we follow his advice. How many of you who may be struggling in a relationship, who have problems, go to work and ask and depend on people who have such broken, messed up lives that they don't have any business advising you, and yet you want to hear what they have to say? Why? Because it's what you want to hear. It's not what you need to hear. That's what's happening here. Only Daniel is willing 
to step up and speak the truth. I'm asking you the question this morning, where do you go for advice? This story challenges us to go to the right people and to the right source for our advice of living. Well, here's the explanation of the dream. Verse 19. I'm just going to read a part of this because some of it's repetitive. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong. That's where he starts recounting then the dream. It goes all the way down through verse 23. Then we pick up the interpretation in verse 24. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my lord the king. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone He chooses. But the stump and the root of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Do you notice here that Daniel, although he is telling the truth, takes no pleasure in telling the truth? And do you notice how he sympathizes with the king? I would rather not have to tell you this, but here is the truth. And he lays out the good news and the bad news. Or the bad news and the good news. First of all, you will be humbled. For seven periods of time, most likely years, you will be humbled. That's the bad news. The good news is, God will restore you to your place of honor. The even better news is, you don't have to go through this. If you listen to what I say, if you follow my advice, if you stop your sinful ways, and if you are kind to those you are oppressing, God may relent. In fact, God will relent. There is a way out for you. You don't even have to go through this if you don't want. Listen, break off from your sinful ways, do the right thing. Very clear instructions. A mentor of mine uh, once said that he believes that God gives us these same crises over and over again until we figure it out, until we learn our lesson. In fact, it tends to say this, remember, in both places, until you learn, this will happen, until you learn that the Most High has the remote, not you. Hmm. Some of you heard me tell this story before, but I think it's, it's a, probably a good place to, to, to say it again. You know, what, what kind of advice are we listening to when it comes to God's Word and what God wants us to do? Years ago, I was preaching um, in a little church. I had done some preaching for a small Christian college. I'd go around and preach at different churches. And so I was preaching a sermon, you know, it was a normal sermon. Went home with the family for lunch uh, that Sunday morning, and I got a, a, the family got a phone call. And uh, they called me to the phone, which is kind of odd. I thought this was an emergency or something. And uh, 
the, the man on the other end was just madder than a hornet. He said, the preacher put you up to that sermon. And just about in his voice, that voice. I said, what do you mean? He said, he told you to, he, he, he wanted you to preach that sermon to me, didn't he? Evidently, they'd been having some trouble. He was a leader in the church. I said, sir, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, he, he put you up to that. And he was just, I never could really convince him that I didn't know any better. Sometimes when we are confronted with the advice from God's word or God's messenger, our response is to get mad. Sometimes our response is to get sad. Sometimes our response is just to ignore the whole thing. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, he just ignored it. In many cases, we get mad. Tom could tell you, as well as I, when we preach on stewardship and money here, there are people that get mad. They'll tell us, you have no business telling me what I am supposed to do with my money. Really? I know it's none of you. <laughs> but they do. Really? We have no business telling you what God's Word says about how you should be generous and how you should give what He has given you. We're, we're not doing this to make money, folks. We're doing this as what God told us. How dare you talk about money or whatever else it happens to be. When you are listening to God's Word and you get sad, God's working on your heart. Listen and obey. When you are listening to God's Word and you get mad, God is working on your heart. You need to listen and obey. Unfortunately, that's not the case with Nebuchadnezzar. There were clear instructions and there was a clear way out. He didn't take it. I have recently, I'm not looking for pity, but three weeks ago I had arthroscopic surgery on my knee. I don't think my doctor's in here, but if he is, thank you very much. Uh, because you know what happens, they hurt you really bad. The other day he called it the insult of surgery. That's a nice way to put it. Even just a little poke on both sides of the knee hurts like everything. But they have to hurt you before you can get better, right? We all know that. And then after that, there's this thing called physical therapy, which is like pain and torture. <laughs> and, and you do this, you follow this advice, because if you don't, I will hobble around for the rest of my life. It won't do me any good. Unless, look at this, look at this. Oh, right. It hurts, but I keep doing it. And I do those exercises because the expert told me this is the way to get better. I would be foolish to take control of that process. Now, some days it would not be hard for me to take the advice of anybody who would say, oh, take a day off. I would not, I could, oh, you know, it's like telling me to eat a donut. Man, I'll do it, you know. <laughs> but I'm not going to get better if I take that kind of advice. I have to break myself against the advice of the expert. You need to break yourself against the advice of God's Word. Whether it make you mad or sad, just don't ignore it. Because Nebuchadnezzar does ignore it. Look at verse 28. All these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, 
A voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way. Here's the verse again. Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to whoever he chooses, that same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate cow, excuse me, he ate grass like a cow, ate cow like grass, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way till his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. I picture him as like a reclusive, crazy man, Howard Hughes, roaming outside the palace into the meadows, raving lunatic, eating grass, long hair, long fingernails, and the people just shake their heads. What happened to our king? And you notice the sad verse there. This happened just exactly as Daniel had predicted. But notice, it was a whole year. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should have everlasting life. Old Testament and New Testament talk about the patience and long-suffering and forgiveness of God. Even with all of this, even with him ignoring the good advice, God still gives him a whole year to straighten his life out, and he doesn't. And the proof is when he stands up there and says, look at everything I've done. Look how I can change the channels. I can change the volume. This is all mine, mine, mine. And immediately then, but not so immediately, after 12 months, he's humbled. God is not willing that any of us should perish. We who stand here before you want to tell you the truth. We take no pleasure in saying that there will come a time when God will close down history. And if you haven't made a decision on who's in control of your life, it'll be too late. We are all living on borrowed time. Some of you have been coming here for years. And you come in with the remote and you leave with the remote. Your life is made somewhat better by just being here, but you have not really given this remote to the one who is the Lord Most High. You haven't, for whatever reason. I have to remind you that there will come a time when God pulls this to a close and it will, you will no longer have the decision. Some of you are going to say, and are saying, I'm going to hold on to this remote until I'm in the ICU, until I know that my days are numbered, until hospice is called in, then I'll give my remote over. Some of you are saying, I don't want to give my remote over, but I'll come to church. I have to warn you that there comes a time when God calls us all to a close just like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. Some of you can attest to the fact that life can change just like this. You may not be humbled like Nebuchadnezzar, but God may allow you the very thing you've been wanting. He will allow you to suffer consequences. If you want to be in control, you be in control. But there will come a time when all of this comes to a close. So let me remind you that you are living on borrowed time. And if you're still holding on to that remote, 
You're playing the odds. And I wouldn't do that if I were you. Now let's look at the happy ending of the story. Verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the peoples of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the peoples of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. And I was restored as head of my kingdom, and even with greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of Heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. As he looks to heaven, as he looks to the Most High God who is in control, he comes to his senses, and he is restored with greater honor. Sometimes you have to be at the bottom before you can see your need for God. I know some of you are there this morning. When you're looking up, that's when you begin to heal. And as you crawl out of that hole with God's help, like Nebuchadnezzar, you honor, praise, and glorify Him. I think a verse in 1 Peter summarizes the moral of this story. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want to be in opposition to God, here's the way to do it. Act like Nebuchadnezzar. Hold on to the remote. Be proud and arrogant and self-centered. If you want to be in opposition to God, go ahead. But what I take from this is, if you want God's grace to fall on you, you need to be humble, like Jesus. Serve. Love. Don't have it your way all the time. Go last. If you're a boss, listen to your employees, like Nebuchadnezzar didn't do. Ask for feedback. And don't scare them to death so they won't tell you the truth. Your company will be better if you listen. If you're an employee or coworker, when someone asks you for feedback, be like Daniel. Speak the truth in love. There are lots of applications in this story. Be quick to give God the credit for what He's doing for you so that you know who's in control. Be quick to recognize His blessings. It was so easy for us to look at everything that's going wrong. Look at how God has blessed you and remind yourself every evening of what He's done for you during that day and ask Him to help you give more and more and more control to Him. Since God is a God of second and third and fourth chances, you be a forgiving person, just as God is. Be patient. Sometimes we hold others to expectations we don't hold to ourselves. Be forgiving. Be patient, just as we saw God was in this story. There's a balance between being out of control. You know, I'm a victim. I can't do anything to control my life. And to hold on to it tightly. What you need to learn is, what things can I control and what things can't I control? I may not be able to control my circumstances, but I can control the way I respond to them. I can control my actions and my attitudes, my speech, and my feelings. 
Giving up control is about surrendering your will to God. It's about obedience. It's about obeying those things you already know from God's word you ought to obey. It's making him king. Taking yourself off the throne. Making him king. Recently, uh, last year, Family Feud asked a question. Some of you remember Family Feud. still going on. Steve Harvey's the host now. Asked this uh, question of 100 uh, people. Who is the king? So they said, coming in number four, with two votes out of 100, the Burger King. <laughs> number three, coming in third, with three votes, Martin Luther King Jr. Coming in second, with seven out of 100 votes, Jesus or God? And the number one answer, 81 people said Elvis Presley. We follow a dead and broken king. A commentary on our society. Ray Irwin says we're much like, uh, our heart is much like a committee room a boardroom with a table with all of these board members sitting around trying to make decisions. And there's our personal self, and there's our family self, and there's our selfish self, and there's our work self, and they're all around the table, and they're all arguing about what, who needs to be in control of your life. And many Christians, when this happens, uh, to try to make sense out of it, say, I will accept Jesus into the boardroom of my life. I will give him a seat in the boardroom. But there's a problem with that. He's just one of many voices. He's competing with my selfish self and my family self and my work self and everybody's got an equal vote and I'm still confused. The only thing I can do to straighten this thing out is to say to Jesus, fire everybody else in the boardroom. You take charge. You take the remote. Run my life for me. I can't do it. This morning, some of you are still investigating the claims of Christianity. Some of you are not certain that you want to let go. And that's okay. You need to ask questions. But I ask you this question. How's your life working so far? Is it really working out the way you think it ought to? Giving control to the Most High God, following the way of Jesus, I believe is the best way to help you live a life that you were designed to live. Some of you are growing in Christ and moving a little bit in His direction. Maybe a lot in His direction. I'll ask you, are you really listening to what you're learning? Are you ignoring or resisting obeying what you've heard? I challenge you to start listening and obeying, not and finding that place where, you know, I'm mad or sad. And, and, and working on that. That's where God's speaking to you. How do I work this out? Some of you are growing very close to Christ. And I would challenge you to start feeding yourself. Don't rely on what people say here. Don't rely on radio preachers or teachers. Don't rely on Sunday school teachers or group leaders. Start feeding yourself from God's Word so that you will understand every day where He wants you to go, how He wants you to give up control. And lastly, some of you have begun to figure this out. 
You understand that you've given over this control. You've got a lot of work to do, but you feel very close to him. And through the experiences and suffering of your life, you've understood that the only way to cope is to give this thing up. Don't keep it to yourself. Start helping other people through this journey. You have wisdom and experience to share. You have prayer and encouragement to share. That's why we come here. We are all messed up and broken people in some way. And if it's not for each other saying, I can help you through this. I know the therapy hurts, but if you keep with it, you'll walk again. I know that you're sad and lonely, but if you keep with it and I'll walk beside you, you can make it. That's why we're here. And so I ask you this question. Who's in the boardroom of your life? And why not give him the remote today? I want every time you see the remote this week, and every time you touch that remote, I want you to remember and ask yourself this question. Why not? Why not give him the remote?